You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your rangefinder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> hey everybody. For this week's episode, we're going to do something a little differently. Briefly, before I worked for Hounds and XP, I was traveling around the United States talking to elderly houndsmen about their coursing experiences, about their hound hunting experiences in general. And my goal was to archive these voices for all time so that we can have them to tell future generations about how it used to be decades and decades ago. My entire thought process was all about archiving and capturing good and fun stories from these people and just how they bred dogs, how they raise dogs, how they train dogs, and just how they feel about things. And I just like to capture, you know, different perspectives, especially ones that may have changed over time and ones that could possibly allow us to look back in the past. Because, you know, right now we just look into books to get ideas and I wanted it to not just be written. I wanted it to be said and stored. So, uh, serendipitously, right after I recorded two of these podcasts, I met Houndsman XP, and it just swept me away on this incredible journey. So, after talking to Chris and Lauren, we decided to air one of my episodes that I had recorded with a gentleman named David Heiss. He's hunted everything you can imagine with dogs, pigs, coons, coyotes, rabbits, hares, and he's just a really funny guy with a lot of knowledge. A lot. He's incredibly diverse, still razor sharp. He's in his 80s now, but he is still hunting and still going strong. 
I love spending time with David. I love talking to him. I think he's such a great guy, and he was definitely one of the first people I thought of when I wanted to get these archival voices. So, I just wanted to tell everyone that I recorded this before I had had any practice or skills recording, and I was using a Zoom recorder in person. And one thing I didn't realize was that Zoom recorders have an incredibly large radius of what they pick up. And so there is some background noise of David's partner making dinner. I apologize for that. And at several times I had to edit the video because David's phone was ringing. So there may be a little bit of a choppy point in there, but it all recovers well. And in the end, I was really happy with it. So I decided to save it. And then lo and behold, three weeks later, I met Hounds and XP team and here I am. So I'm actually very excited because this footage was originally just going to be stored and released somehow. Now I have this amazing platform to release it to. So I hope you guys sit back, relax, and enjoy me young Seth talking to Mr. David Heiss for my second time recording the archival footage of Older Houndsman. Enjoy, guys. Today is December 5th, 2019. I'm in Roswell, New Mexico with Mr. David Heiss, and uh, this is Seth Hall. So, David, how are you doing? I'm here. <laughs> uh, I ask every courser when I get started, but before I do, I was thinking a lot about this before I interviewed you, David, and I don't know anybody in the hound community that doesn't know who you are. And that means that's lion houndsmen, that's bear houndsmen, that's running dog enthusiasts. Everybody knows who you are. So it was when everyone, when I said I was doing this uh, podcast, everyone was like, you should interview David Heist. And I was like, well, it just so goes that I run with his son every weekend. And I feel very lucky to know you guys. And so uh, I'm very excited to be sitting right here, honestly, and, and very truthfully, I say this, in the house of a legend. Because that's what you are, is a legend. <laughs> I don't know whether it be a legend or not. Be somebody's been irresponsible. <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, I've heard a lot about you. Let's just say that, and I've heard a lot of good things about you. So, uh, for the record, and all, but yeah. <laughs> I run with a lot of people that used to run with you as well. So it is, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, so I guess the first thing I'm going to ask you is, David, how old are you? Uh, where were you born? And how did you get into running dogs? I'm 79 years old, born in Oklahoma City, and uh, I got into running dogs at 15 years old. I had German Shepherds, and I used to walk them for miles out in the country, uh, and I run into a guy with some greyhounds, and, and I was out in the country. And he had about six greyhounds following him. A rabbit got up. I'd never seen dogs able to catch a rabbit. These dogs run down and caught this jackrabbit, and I liked to have a heart attack. <laughs> and I went over and went to talking to him. I said, well, watch your greyhounds. These German shepherds will beat them up. He said, you better watch your German Shepherds. These greyhounds will kill them German Shepherds. <laughs> so I watched my German Shepherds. <laughs> so he invited me to go coyote hunting. 
Well, he lived about four miles from where I lived. I didn't have a car. I would trot four miles in the dark to get to his house at daylight, beat on his window, wake him up, and we'd pile in an old car, had the back seats taken out, and he'd put the dogs and me in the back, and he went and got another friend to ride with him in the front. Well, they both chewed tobacco. They'd spit out the window, and they'd blow through the back window and blow in my face. I think that's an initiation for houndsmen because I've been in that situation in your yeah. truck chasing coyotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, when they'd get after a coyote, and these guys were crazy, they'd get after a coyote, jumping sand dunes and stuff. And the dogs would get excited, and he'd never let them empty out. He'd just haul them. Oh. Well, they'd go to crapping all over me, tobacco juice, dog crap, everything else on me, and I was having a ball. <laughs> and that, that's where I got started running greyhounds at 15. So it didn't take me long before he'd give me one of his bitches, and I'd take her, walk for her for miles. And there's a place out here where the, all the orchards are now. There was an old farm that people would dump their excess greyhounds at that farm. And that one dog that looked like a half German Shepherd, half greyhound, and an old bitch that raised pups out of that German Shepherd every year, and she'd feed them on jackrabbits. Well, I'd walk out there and go hunting with them dogs. Well, a bitch would take a rabbit in a big old circle, because the rabbit will always run in a circle. And this half-German shepherd sit on the hill and wait till she brought the rabbit back, and then he'd go down and catch him. Whoa. They, awesome. they, had, they were a team. And anyhow, brains. Yeah. A anyhow. Wow. That's what I did when I was young. But I walked everywhere I run. And um, <laughs> and so I got another guy interested in greyhounds, and he his family had a farm not too far from my house. So we went to building dog pens and accumulating dogs. Well, I used I got a car finally, an old '51 Plymouth. And I'd drive the alleys in the poor part of town because all the ranchers used to keep greyhounds. Why? Because you never see them For coyote control. Okay. They kept greyhounds on the farms and ranches all over this country. Well, they'd get too many and they'd take them to cities and dump them out in the poor part of town. <laughs> well, I'd drive through the poor part of town, see some greyhounds eating out of garbage cans. And I'd load them up, take them out in the country, and run rabbits with them. Were they hard to catch, or did you just lure no, them into your vehicle? No, they, they, they was hungry. I yeah. mean, they, they, they <laughs> yeah. hunting dogs, but they yeah. dumped them in town. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we went to putting our dogs together from the alleys of the poor people in <laughs> Roswell. Did you find any good dogs? Well, we we thought they was good. We didn't know what a good dog was. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, but that's where we started then there's some guy brought some hot bloods in here. And uh, 
one of them got away a black female, and this this friend of mine, this friend of mine, he uh, picked this black greyhound up and found out who owned her, and she could fly. She'd run off and leave our dogs. Anyway, he got acquainted with the guy, and he was raising them for the track. But he had a blue male, and he didn't. Track people didn't like blue dogs. Why? Why? Just that's what he said. Huh? He, he said he'll never be any good. He's blue. So um, this guy bought my friend bought the blue dog. We called him Blue. Can you imagine? Oh, very <laughs> original name. <laughs> that son of a gun made a cow dog out of this world. I mean, he he had. Uh, was a throat dog. He just run two or other dogs. Wow. The, the black female never did make a cow dog. Anyway, we went to breeding these old stag bitches and stuff we had around to this hot blood. Instead of some of the stag dogs that we had that were actually way better bred than the hot blood. Mm -hmm. Well, we went to losing our good cow dog abilities. Raise them pups up, takes you t about two years to get them started and going and knowing everything. And they didn't have any air. They couldn't run far enough. Is that what you mean by losing the stag's abilities? Is they, the good coyote dog abilities that they, what, what else did they lose besides yeah. gaining pure speed from well, the hot blood? We wasted mean? years breeding them half hot bloods. Although the blue dog was fantastic, but all his pups was crap. Gotcha. So they, he was just giving them speed. And you were losing some of that air and fight. And lost the soundness, lost the brains, right, right. and lost everything we had to start with. Yeah. That we got out of the poor parties down. Yeah. Just all ranchers' dogs and stuff that been in the family for years, and they'd get too many, and they'd dump them. But um, everybody that gets to running dogs... First thing they want to do is outrun the other guy's dogs. Everybody wants the fastest dog. They're not paying attention to brains, soundness, right. and the things that are vital if you're going to keep dogs for over a period of years. Yeah, speed it, it, isn't always what wins the race. Yeah. Honestly, the old adage goes. Yeah. I mean. And are, are you breeding dogs to hunt and stay sound, or are you breeding dogs to outrun somebody? That's right. Ego gets you. Ego will ruin your dogs quicker than anything. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've had dogs. I've never been without greyhounds. Never in my life. Since I was 15, I've had greyhounds, and I've run coyotes and jackrabbits. And there for about 15 years, I got in, or maybe 20, got into coon hunting, with hounds. In fact, I coon hunted when I was a kid with the old man, the, the father of the guy that introduced me to coyote hunting. He had coon hounds. We'd catch gray fox and tree them mm -hmm. and, and coons. And Anyway, I'd go at night with him and he was in his 70s and could still jump over a barbed wire fence <laughs> at 70. That's awesome. And but I'd hunt with him at night and then barn hay with his son during the daytime during the summer. Yep. But uh, 
so I've had experience with with the scent hounds and side hounds. You used to pig hunt too, didn't you? Yeah, for about 15 years or maybe more, I was a hard hog hunter. Here on the Pecos? Mm. Here on the Pecos River? Yeah, yeah, but I'd go to Texas and hunt with a good friend over in Odessa. I'd go to Red River and hunt with another good friend. I hunted with well-known coyote hunters, to, I mean uh, hog hunters, to kind of learn the business. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that I knew most of these ranchers on the Pecos River. They'd let me hunt, and I'd take other people hunting with me. Well, they'd sneak in there without me. Right. Rancher would catch them, and they'd say, well, David said it's all hunting here, and get me in trouble. That's the number, that's one of the biggest reasons that big game hunters don't like to share their spots with people, because then your friends ruin your spots for you. Yeah. And they teach it to other people. If you show them your honey hole, they won't have a honey hole. That's right. Yeah, it's a hard so balance to strike. I had to start hunting hogs by myself day and night and all I had was pegging strings, a pocket knife and a catch dog and several bay dogs that would bay a hog up and then the catch dog would catch it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'd tie the hog down and I had me a tarp rolled up on my back and the tracking system to see where my dogs went. Did you use radio, the radio beeping telemetry yeah. collars? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, when I tie a hog down, I rolled him on his tarp. It was slick where you could pull him. Because you try to pull a hog by his hind legs, it's going against the hair and it makes it twice as hard to pull. Yeah. You got to pull him out by the nose. Huh. That way you, the hair's right. Okay. So I found out huh. if I put him on a slick tarp and had a rope on both sides. Just pull him out. I could pull them to where I could get to them in a vehicle. Huh. And then I'd load them in the vehicle and bring them back to the house and feed them corn. Awesome. Donate them to fair board, yeah. banks, anybody that wanted to put on a big hog feed, I uh, donated them hogs. So what I've noticed is that you've done all these hound sports and yet all you have out here anymore is coursing dogs. So why, why do you like coursing the most, David? What makes you stay into coursing all these years later after you've gotten rid of all those other dogs? Well, actually, coursing is a lot easier. It, you have to be in tremendous shape to hunt hogs. Yeah, that's a, a big, big misconception of non-hound hunting hunters is that a lot, and the uninformed public that doesn't know really anything about hound hunting in general, they think you just turn dogs loose. You sit there and wait, and then you go to a bay side and you shoot something. No. They don't know the tremendous amount of work and there's, all there's, the athleticism to get there. There's a lot of training yeah. involved in, in, in it, scent hounds and cur dogs. Mm-hmm. There's some cur dogs that I've had some really, really good cur dogs. But I had a rack on, had a rubber mat on an old Toyota pickup, and I had a rack in front where I could snap them on the rack. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had hogs here at the house. I'd take them down, put them in a deep draw, hide them in the draw. And I had long lines on these cur dogs, and they were snapped on the hood. Well, I'd drive downwind of the 
cage with a hog in it, and as soon as they'd smell the hog, as soon as they'd bark, I'd unsnap them and let them run down there and, and bay the hog in the cage. Yep. And I got them to where they'd ride loose on the hood. Oh, wow. Just sit on the hood of the yeah, pickup. rigging them. And they wouldn't get off until I told them okay. You tell them okay, they'd leave the pickup, and when they smell a hog, they'd go bay them up. Yeah, that'd be a lot harder to do with greyhounds than but it would be But that's the way I started them. We had a lot of porcupines on the river. I was catching porcupines. I spent a lot of time pulling porcupine quills, thousands of quills. Tied the hog tied dog, put a stick in his mouth, was bailing all around his neck, hold his mouth open and long neck needle nose pliers oh, and go to pulling quills. I'd get the quills out, turn the dogs loose, start hunting again, and they'd catch another porcupine. Goddamn dogs. I've caught as many as three in a hunt. Oh, three in one God. night. Huh. I've pulled thousands and thousands of porcupine quills. So I've decided I've got to break the dogs off porcupines. You can't break dogs off porcupines after they've learned to hate them. They, they go insane. So I would find me a porcupine in the tree and get him out, knock him down on the ground, get him out, bring him back to town in the cage, put a snare on his tail and uh, Time to a bush alongside the road out here in the pasture by me. Then I'd let the dogs, I was, the young dogs that I hadn't got started, I'd let them rode alongside the vehicle and when they'd run over to that porcupine and go barking at it, I'd shock them. I had a shock collar on them. I'd shock them, run out there and get the rope, the drag rope, and drag them back over and throw them at the porcupine and shock them while they're in there. Oh, yeah. Kind of get the it's, picture. Yeah, and I'd do that about three times. They got to where as soon as they smelled the porcupine, they'd come back to my truck. Yeah. So I broke them off porcupines that way. Do you think... Uh of course, sidehounds are easier to train because they just chase anything. But yeah. do you think it's do you enjoy coursing more than the scenthound work, or did you enjoy that more actually? Well, I'm physically not able. Right, right. At, at this stage of my life, to follow dogs ten miles down the river, tie a big hog down, crawling on your hands and knees to the salt. I can't seaters. jump over top of one anymore. Yeah. You know, you lose your agility and your mm -hmm. endurance and strength with age. Right. If I still had the ability, I'd still do it. Did you have coursing dogs and you had scent dogs too? Oh, I had coursing dogs and oh, yeah, hog dogs. And I hunted bear too up here, Captain Mountains and over around Cloud Cough with some real good bear hunters. Yeah. Well, I got yeah. some bear dogs and I hunted bear with cur dogs and hounds. So, of all the things you've hunted, what's your favorite quarry? With hounds. The adrenaline rush I get when you're hunting cows, when you, you've hunted for an hour or so and you see a cow, you get an adrenaline rush. Right, right. Oh, yeah. You're trying to figure out, you're trying to figure out how to get your dogs close enough to see that cow. And to all the people that aren't listening, they don't know how coyote hunters drive. So yeah, well, I'll tell you how they get close. My attitude <laughs> is a pickup is sacrificial for a cow. <laughs> <running>. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't have a clue how, uh, admittedly, and this is not a plug for the Ford company, but I did not know how smooth a Ford could be across a desert pasture going 65 until you saw that coyote when I went with you for the first time. I spotted that coyote and oh, you said, yeah. where is he? And you just, I was going 70 miles an hour with dip spit all over my legs as we were flying <laughs> across the desert after that coyote. Yeah, Chris, Chris thinks I'm half a bubble off plum. <laughs> but, 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 you know, when you get, Justin, Justin, you, you know, my son Justin, he, he's been coyote hunting with me since he's, Probably five years old. You know, I mean, he grew up doing that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he did, wasn't able to ha have coursing dogs for a long time. But he got back in it, which I'm very happy about. <laughs> that worked yeah. out very good for me. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a great guy, pretty great conscientious guy. guy. Yeah, you know, I like I'm, running with him a lot. I've learned so much running with that guy. So it's been awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, of course, we all have preferences in how we breed dogs and different things. You know, a lot of theory. Justin's seen some good dogs that were triple hybrids and stuff, and, uh -huh. and he's always comparing what he's got today with what he saw years ago mm -hmm. when we were when yeah. he was a kid. He's seeing. He's telling me now though. There's a lot of good dogs now. There's a lot of good dogs now, and that's what Dean has told me, and that's what Ricky and all those guys say. There's a lot of everybody has good dogs now, good coursing dogs. I mean, well, they're catching good. Not so much with coyote dogs. Why is that? Like, just, like I did originally, breeding hot blood to them to outrun somebody. I lost all the good abilities. So coyotes are your favorite thing of all to run. Well, the hunt, the strategy to figure out how to get this cow going the right way, giving the cow a good break to where you see a good raise. I don't like to dump out on top of one. I like dogs to yeah, have to go to them. I agree. I like to see uh, bumper dumping kind of bums me out. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. No, no. I, uh, the dogs, my best dogs now have got a lot of saluki blood. Mm -hmm. But you don't hear about that a lot in coyote dogs. No, no, most people don't like Salukis because they're harder to train. Mm -hmm. You raise a Saluki till they're a year and a half, two years old, and you decide you don't want to keep him, they don't bond to a new home very well like a greyhound. I see. They get too attached to their people, and, and, and a greyhound, it doesn't matter to him, anybody that pet him is his friend. Mm -hmm but not a Saluki. So if you're raising Salukis, it's hard to place them dogs if they don't work. Gotcha. So you got, you, you've got to understand that you're probably raising more pups than you can run. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a place to place them, so you need to place them as puppies. Yeah. A lot of people say they won't fight, is that true? Mine do. But I've been selective on my the bitches I breed to. Right, right. Yeah, Charlie'll get a coyote as good as he'll get a rabbit. Yeah, Charlie Charlie and Red Bull. Red Bull's five sixteenths Lukey. Charlie is thirteen sixteenths. He's almost full Lukey. Charlie's sister is getting scat. 
they're great. good. Yeah, they're good rabbit dogs. They're good rabbit dogs. I never have tried to run them on coyotes. They're built a lot better for rabbits, I'd say. They're built to be rabbit dogs. Yeah. But Charlie and Red Bull can see a coyote further than a man. That's what Justin tells me you say. They can see a coyote if he moves the ear right there a half mile <laughs> away. They'll go to barking. They don't do that with antelope. They might have rabbit right next to the pickup, yeah. but off of the distance, they're hunting cows. They love it. And I dump them out. I don't, if, they, if, if they can see them, I dump out. And they pull a rabbit out of a hat quite often. That's awesome. I just can't believe what they can do. Now, greyhounds can't do that. I've never had greyhounds could do that. I've seen a lot of really, that's how Justin's best Saluki is. He can see the rabbit come up and he starts barking. You turn mouse loose and he's going to that rabbit. He's taking our pack to the rabbit that it'll run, you know how they do, they'll run out and hide again. And he has taken that pack to those rabbits many times where we thought the dogs are just going to run right past that rabbit. And he goes bounding up looking for that rabbit. He's not what, running to run. He's running dog, to look. What dog does that? Mouse. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's so good at that. that. He's that, a pure Saluki to all the listeners. That That's the biggest thing that used to drive me crazy, judging coursing meats for people with registered dogs with no experience. Oh. You walk for two hours, and finally a rabbit gets up, and they run the wrong way. Oh, with a rabbit 50 feet in front of them, and they run the wrong way. Yeah. The, the, and some of them never had the brains to to look for the rabbits. They go to running before they go to looking. You know, I I I didn't know how much it matters to have older dogs teach younger pups how to run until I started that's, running. That's with how Justin. you train young dogs. Yes, and well, my dog got so much better every single week. And I turned out. I just had my two dogs running together, and I turned out on a rabbit. And a in bushy country, those rabbits will at full speed get in a bush and then come out the same way they went in and the inexperienced dogs will just blow right past that bush thinking they'll come out the other side and my dog was already doing a 180 as soon as he saw that rabbit go in he was already turning that rabbit come out right in front of him he coursed another 20 seconds and just grabbed him and i was literally david jumping up in the air cheering it was amazing yeah that that's real important <laughs> in a coursing dog to have those good eyes mm -hmm. and have the brains to take a shortcut to him don't go where the last seen him. Look, see where he's going, and and cut him off. Yes, and that only comes with experience, running lots and lots. And of it comes with brains. Yep. They don't have enough brains to learn it, and a lot of them don't. Yeah, they've got to have brains, and to get on the game, off at a distance. Yep. Uh, Skid and Scat and Charlie, they hardly ever miss a rabbit. Now, I'm talking way out there. Yeah. If, he, if he's out there 200 yards, they're going to see him and they're going to get on him. Tell me, David, what when you're breeding for a coyote dog versus breeding for a rabbit dog, what are two? What, what's the difference between the two? Because to our listeners, to people that are just listening, they don't know the difference between a coyote dog and a rabbit dog. There's a, there is a large difference between them in a lot of ways. I'll, and I want someone who's been a master breeder of both styles to tell me the difference between a rabbit well, dog and a coyote dog. I don't like to see dogs fight a coyote. I want them to kill a coyote. So you've got to breed for a dog with a bigger head and a wider skull that has more bite power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, the dogs have run a mile. 
they finally get the coyote down. It's dodged him eight or ten times. They finally get him down. They're out of air. <clears throat> Nothing can fight when they can't breathe. Right, right. These dogs have to have enough grit to hold that coyote down till they get their air, and they got to bite hard enough to kill him. Which, to me, is important. I don't, I don't really like the fight. Right. I want, I like the race. Agreed. And and um, to have dogs that grab a coyote by the rear end and run backwards and all that crap. I don't tolerate it, and I won't have them kind of dogs. Mm -hmm. I want them to pin him on the ground and take it, get it and, done, and and just kill him. Yeah. A good dog, a pair of good dogs should be able to kill a coyote in less than a minute. Agreed. They, they know where to bite him. They know how to kill him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen your dogs at work. It's a very efficient. They're very. I, I don't know what other word it would be besides humane. I mean, they just get in there, just boom, it's over. I mean, well, compared to all the other types of cow control, coursing dogs is a quicker death than a bullet in the guts. Or, you know, people shoot cows and, you know, I mean, they wound a big part of them. I've, no telling how many coyotes have caught missing leg, oh, yeah. bottom jaw, or something where they've been shot, not killed. If you get if your dogs get him, he's he's caught. When the, when the, when the coursing dogs get there, they they kill the coyote. The government shotguns them out of helicopters and airplanes, and they leave a lot of cripples. Uh, Poison. And poison is terrible. Po poison is despicable. And it kills everything else too, not just the target. The, the, ten, the thing is, though, a lot of the farmers and ranchers, the sheepmen especially, they know certain insecticides that are the exact same as 1080. Mm -hmm. And they lace carcasses with this, these insecticides. It's nothing but 1080 with another name. Yes, sir. And um, they uh, they don't care. All they were concerned about is anything that's threat to a sheep needs to die. And the thing is, whatever eats a bird's crows, falcons, secondary everything, poisoning, they'll eat on that dead animal, and then they'll fly off and they'll die somewhere else, and the fox will eat them. Exactly. And he'll die, and something will eat the fox, and he'll die. It just goes on and on and on. And you know, another thing I, I've always stressed, because I, I spend a lot of time with people that have never hound hunted. They've never seen a hound hunt. They have, many people have, not negative or positive, just no view or, I guess, preconception of it. And one thing I always explain to somebody is that you and I could go out in one night with spotlights and rifles and shoot a hundred rabbits. Every rabbit we see. Well, we used to as a kid. Yeah, and me too. When I was young, you would just shoot rabbits on the. It, but but if you run two hard jackrabbits in one day and you catch them both, that's a great day of coursing, and you're oh, done. Oh yeah, yeah. And me and Justin in one season ran only twenty-eight rabbits. 
that's it in five months of hunting because that's all we could find and run with our dogs and you tell me any gun hunter that would be happy shooting 28 rabbits in six months or five months of running you tell me he'd throw his rifle in the trash so well, i mean it's way there's a difference between sport and killing that's right a lot of people just want to kill something what's the difference in shooting a target and shooting an animal mm-hmm. yeah one is just statistics and I mean I mean yeah. why do they want to kill something yeah. just to shoot I mean it's there's no sport in it that's right and the problem we have now with all this modern technology and uh, stuff people have all kinds of night vision yeah I mean I was just hunting with thermal vision for pigs yeah yeah thermal imaging and they they have coyote killing contests, which I think they've outlawed it in New Mexico. How do you feel about land. that? I don't know. They're not allowed to have a contest. Mm-hmm. But all they're doing is killing. I knew a guy over at Almagorda that worked out at the missile range. Well, some of them guys in them guard shacks would make pets of those coyotes and feed them. Whoa. And, and they, awesome take food out there to feed the goats and they for goats that come around and, th- and this SOB was in them coat contests he'd go out there and shoot them guys pets just to get his numbers up mm. just to kill yeah I have no use for them kind of people you know I don't think you'll find anybody who loves jackrabbits more than me or who loves coyotes more than you because you have a deep appreciation for them by hunting them in a way that they can defend themselves, which is to take flight. It's fair chase. That's right. Literally. Yeah. It's yeah. literally want, a fair chase. You want a fair chase. I agree. I think it's really important for all of us hunters to be on, on the same side. I think it's important for all of us to be allied with one another. And I think the most important thing you can do as a courser is just stay positive about explaining to people that don't know anything about hound hunting at all and how it's really incredibly sporting and how how much we like the prey and the hounds and the whole aspect of it instead of just it's not about it's not about killing because if it was I'd rather just have a gun this is the worst way to go out and try to get numbers because it's so hard and so much time and so much money and so truly inefficient compared to more modern ways of hunting i mean so david's phone just went off right there guys and i had to cut the interview and restart it there so i figured with that break it'd be a good time to talk about our friends at houndsman xp i want to start with freedom hunters you guys freedom hunters is a great organization there at freedomhunters.org that helps get wounded veterans and gold star family members back out in the field their whole mission is to connect people back out in the outdoors getting warriors from the field to the field and I can't support them enough. You know, I've seen a lot of veteran organizations like Freedom Hunters that are out there, but we've always had such great experiences with them at Freedom Hunters, and they're always looking for people to put hunts together. If you're interested in hosting a Freedom Hunters event, go to freedomhunters.org, follow the links to get started. I also want to talk about Pause of Protected. Guys, you've heard me talk about Pause of Protected every time. I love Pause of Protected. It works great. I'm still using it on my feet, in case you're wondering, and obviously, I'm still using it on my dog's feet. It keeps those pads hydrated and strong, helps them repair damage that they get out in the field. Runny season's in full swing for me. 
And you better believe those dogs get their feet cut up when they're chasing a rabbit across hard rocks. Those rabbits like to take them to rough stuff all the time to try to lose those dogs. They never give up, but their feet could if they weren't properly taken care of and conditioned. So guys, check out Paws Are Protected. If you join us on Patreon, guys, we send out an exclusive code where you can get 20% off your purchase of Paws Are Protected. It's a great product. I can't speak highly enough of it. You know, as I'm sitting here at my desk, my recording studio, I look over right here on the shelf and I have my Stickbow Outdoors hound log. I write in that thing all the time. Listen, data is good. Long-term data is gold. You're never going to get tired of me saying that because it's the truth. Get in your hound log. Write down information about your dogs, about how they did, what they need to improve on. This book is super awesome. It thinks about things that I didn't think about when I was using my crummy Excel file. I was just focused on who won the race and the time. But Bart has put a lot of time and effort into this book, and it clearly shows. Great data is worth everything. If you guys check out at stickbowoutdoors.com, that's S-T-I-C bowoutdoors.com, and enter the code HOUNDS with a capital H, XP, HOUNDS XP with a capital H, you can get 10% off your hound log. And there's a revised hound log that has some other things in it that you might think is super interesting. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. I use mine all the time. So check them out, guys. Stickbow Outdoors Hound Log. And lastly, I just wanted to bring some attention to our Patreon account. Patreon's a website that allows you to subscribe for as little as $1 an episode to support Houndsman XP and our mission to preserve, protect, and promote. It's very simple. Just go to patreon.com, search for Houndsman XP in the top right search bar, and pick the tier that you want to support us at. You can also go to our website at houndsmanxp.com and click on the Patreon tab. It'll take you right there. We use our Patreon account, guys, to keep the lights on at Houndsman XP and to keep improving the best hound hunting podcasts in the world. While you're there, you can check out all our exclusive content that we put out for our guests and our patrons. There's some public things, and obviously there's posts for patrons only. We put out tailgate talks, which are mini podcasts. We put out unique content about our dogs. We put out sweet recipes ideas, all kinds of neat stuff that you're only going to find at the Houndsman XP Patreon page. So check it out, you guys. We really appreciate your support. To our patrons that are already there, thank you. And to all those that are curious, again, at our website, houndsonxp.com, or at patreon.com, search us in the bar. Let's get back to the interview with David, guys. I look forward to your feedback, and again, thanks for listening. We had to take a brief interlude from the interview. Uh, David got an important phone call that he had to take, but we're back. And uh, I wanted to get back into it. We were just talking about, you know, the, how the tremendous dedication of, 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 ha- of owning hounds and how much it really takes of people to have them. I mean, it's not just as simple as let dogs loose. It's just so much dedication really to, and money. That's a, Oh yeah. Yeah. My brother says that he wants to get his kids into running dogs so they have no money to buy drugs. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you something, David. Um, if you were trying to give someone advice that had never ran a dog in their life and they were just walking into it, what would you tell them? What'd be the most important thing to know for running dogs? first thing they need to do is go hunting with experienced hunters that have a reputation, a good reputation for having good dogs that know what they're doing. So they can learn more by going with good hunters 
than they ever will on their own. Don't try to buy dogs to start with. Go see what good dogs are before you ever even think about buying a dog. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing. Yeah, I uh, I learn more running with Justin in one month than I thought I would have. It would have taken me years to accrue that knowledge. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect metaphor of how you need to run pups with older dogs to teach them. I'm just a pup running with these older dogs. And yeah, I'm, well, that's that's the way to learn. You get with somebody. That's what I did when I started hog hunting. I went to. Big name hog hunters that everybody knew of it had good dogs and good hog hunters. I'm going to tell you about the craziest guy I've hunted with. All right, let me hear. He goes by, they call him Barefoot Bob. He not only uh, hunts hogs, he catches every rattlesnake he sees. He steps on a rattlesnake, gets him by the head, keeps a five-gallon bucket in his truck and threads the rattlesnake into that bucket. How, how many times has he been bit? I don't know how many times. It, it'd probably kill a snake to bite him. <laughs> oh, well, my anyway, God. <laughs> anyway, I, I drove from Roswell to Abilene, Texas, where he lived, uh-huh. to go hog hunting with him one night. He loaded these pit bull, half pit bulls, canine Frankensteins in one big box and cage in the back of his pickup. We started away, stopped at the store and bought some fried apple pies and went to eating them. Went down the road not very far and a fight erupted in the back of that pickup, almost turned the pickup over. I mean, they were, oh. they were bouncing off our fighting. He pulled off the side of the road, and this is a freeway with cars coming both ways pretty fast. He said, open the gate, I'm going in. He crawled in amongst them dogs and went to punching dogs with his fist. Fighting pit bulls. Yeah, yeah, pit bulls and stuff. He grabbed one dog, had his knee on his back, pulled his head over his knee, and bit the dog on the nose and blood squirted both ways. Oh, my God and punching these dogs. Well, when he got out of that truck, every dog was over in the corner, just huddled down, just <laughs> intimidated. Oh my God. When I got back in the truck, I did the same thing. I was <laughs> over on the side of the deal. I thought, what am I doing going out as a crazy man? <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. Well, well, we were running through prickly pear cactus and everything else, and I think we caught nine sows that night. Didn't catch a boar. Tied them down, got all the dogs out of the box and tied them around on the outside of the cage. And we'd throw these sows in this cage. We got to his house and he had a big arena full of hogs that he, he was selling mm-hmm. these hogs mm-hmm. and dumped all the sows. He said, Well, said, you drove a long way. He said, You don't spend the night here. Well, before he said that, we went in the house with that bucket, and he put these snakes in a 55-gallon drum full of snakes. And in you could his hear house? This, you could hear this drum going... Inside his house? In his house, a house with a drum full of rattlesnakes. I said, Bob, I really appreciate it, but I need to get home. <laughs> 
That's a smart move. I wasn't about to sleep in the house with five-gallon barrel full of rattlesnakes in it. No. Oh, my God. I, I mean, this guy is primitive. How old was he? Uh, he wasn't as old as me, but, you know, he's probably in his around 60 now. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. He'd go out and he'd sleep out on the ground at night. Wait for the hogs to come in. Different fields and stuff. Where the hogs would come in there, he'd sleep out there with his till the hogs come in there, and then they go catching hogs. Wow. I mean, he was hardcore. That's that's badass. <laughs> crazy. Oh, he's wow. crazy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, that was a, that was that was the first guy I ever hunted with, and it scared me pretty bad. I thought I ain't I ain't this tough. And I was asking him how he threw them great big old boar hogs, and he said, oh, they're actually about the same as the south. You got a good catch dog. I said, well, what kind of breaking stick do you use to get your bulldog off the ear? He said, I just get a club and knock them off. Holy crap. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had no feelings for dogs. Okay. And he used to run coyotes with half pit bull, half greyhounds at night in spot. Oh, in spot, yeah, of course. Then, yeah. And he'd sell the hides. He'd run out there and grab the coyote behind the neck and kick the dogs off and hold the coyote up in the air and the coyotes would be chewing on his arm. He, he didn't, he, pain didn't face him. Or the thought of rabies, clearly. <laughs> no, he, no, I... I he didn't want the dogs to tear that yeah, hide. Yeah, of course, of course. But the, that, the guy, the guys. Wow, dang! He, he, he could never be that hard. He's <laughs> more than a half. He, he's mentally challenged. Oh, wow! Dang. He's the first guy I've ever seen hunted with the GPS tracking collars. You like those? Yeah, he he used them. Except when they scramble the satellites occasionally. Oh, uh, okay. Send you in yeah, the wrong direction. Yeah, he pretty sophisticated but primitive. Wow, wow. You know, I forgot, you know, we this conversation has taken a lot of really awesome turns, but we got off a little bit. I asked you what, what you breed for a good coyote dog, but then you answered with grittiness and brain and heart, but what about a good rabbit dog? What are you breeding when you're trying to breed a good rabbit dog? Run further faster. There you Stay go. sound. It's all about agility, speed, and soundness. Yeah, but... I give up a lot of speed for soundness mm -hmm. and brain. How so? How do you do that? What What do you What do you? I, I don't. I don't put much hot blood in my dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that out there in your pins. Not they a lot don't of hot have. Blood. They They don't have the mentality of a hunting dog. They're not coursing dogs. They're racing dogs. Mm -hmm. And they don't stay sound. They've got too much speed, too much power, too. Too light of bone, too light of tendons. They, 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 they just don't stay sane. Right, right. You know, and it's really important. That I, I have learned from talking to a lot of you guys, it's breed for your country. And we run on, especially Justin and I, run on some really rough prairie. Oh, and sure. Those hot, pure hot bloods, which to our listeners, a hot blood is just a race bred greyhound, they just get devoured by that desert country. They're, they're, they're so fast, I feel, that they overrun those rabbits in that tall grass, and then they can't see them. They don't, they don't have a brain to course. Yeah. They're racing the rabbit rather than trying to catch him. Mm -hmm. 
they're, they're bred to race. So what do you breed to get that soundness in, in brains? What, what breeds and types do you like? There's a lot of people been breeding fast cow dogs for years and fast rabbit dogs. They might have started with hot bloods and then eliminated all the ones that didn't stay sound in enough generations. They got some, and they crossed to some cow dogs and stuff. <laughs> and probably a lot of their ancestry was was uh, hot bloods way back. Right. But they went through so many of them to get the sound ones. Ended up with some pretty good hot bloods. <laughs> Or dogs that were predominantly hot blood, but they were the end result of, of four or five generations yeah. of of uh, breeding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, there was a, a family, three different farmers at Bledsall, Texas. They uh, started off with two blue brindle littermate dogs that they got to give to them up at Tucumcari, New Mexico. What they were, who knows? They said they were English greyhounds. That's what they said. They didn't know, but that's yeah. what they said. Though. Right, right. Well, when they had puppies, they'd give some of the puppies to the brothers on other farms. Well, they had, every time a bitch would come in heat, she'd have puppies, so they spread these dogs that were out of two litter mates, brother and sister. Oh, gosh. And this went on for 30 years before anybody, any of the Cunninghams ever crossed to a dog of a different line of dogs. They were windmillers, so they fixed windmills up on the Caprock. Their dogs had peculiar looks. The males had real masculine big heads. The females were very refined and little and little squirrely, mousy-headed things. But those little females, you cross them back on, later on when we, we got some of the Cunningham dogs and we'd cross them. You got tremendous hybrid vigor from these intensely inbred dogs. Mm -hmm. And the way they'd call their dogs, they'd get too many and they'd go out there with a shotgun and shoot every one of them that didn't, they didn't like them. <laughs> Just keep the best ones. Right. This went on for 30 years or more. I had some Cunningham dogs that had some hot blood in them. Bred a half hot blood and half coyote dog to a Cunningham bitch and got some really good dogs. Coyote dogs? Dutch salmons was really impressed with them. I, for so many reasons, am sad that Dutch is gone. But one of the reasons is I would have done so much to have him contribute to this, what I'm doing now. I would love to have interviewed him. I love his books. His books are so good. Yeah, Dutch lived with me for about three months. Yeah. When Justin was young. He's the one that introduced me to Salukis. The good ones. Mm -hmm. He had a good Saluki. I couldn't believe how this dog could outrun my cold blood Park Cunninghams and stuff. He had better eyes. He could stay on the rabbit in the brush. He did things that I, my greyhounds couldn't do. That's what. But he was growly in the box. 
but the dog really could run and really smart and stare at the rabbit in the bush. <laughs> rabbit would get in the high grass and he'd bring him out and the greyhounds would get in the race. But that's good where Saluki I, is so good at that. I've seen it with my own eyes and I love it. That, that's where I finally decided I needed to put some Saluki blood in my cow dogs to get that endurance and eyes and brains or coarsened brains. Right. They have a better chase sense for sure. Yeah. They definitely yeah. do. Mm-hmm. The way uh, the way I describe and the way I've always thought of a Saluki is it looks like you tie a string from their nose to that rabbit's butt and they just follow it like a school of fish. It's amazing, really. They I had uh, I crossed Clert, the male dog in that picture. That Chris had a lot to do with his breeding, with a, a bitch out of a dog called Clown that was out of that real good Saluki of Duchess that I'd got from Duchess as a puppy. Well, I'd take old Clown hunting as a puppy and he, he'd get lost. He wouldn't come <laughs> back, he'd just take off like an idiot. <laughs> so I, I got rid of him. I sent him to Vernon, Texas, and he made a real good dog. I just didn't have the patience to put up with a dog like that. Mm-hmm. That was before shocking collars. Yeah, and yeah. They changed everything. And he made a really good dog. Well, I got a bitch out of clown that was out of a half-hot-blood, half-saluki dog and, and bred her to Claret and got copper, copper-sired snake that Dutch Sammons was getting them dogs out of from the people in Georgia. Mm-hmm. I give Snake and two brothers to him to milk Garrett, and and then um, he'd give me a Brennan that wasn't that good a dog. But Snake was good, he'd kill a rabbit by himself. Well, he sold Snake for $3,000 to Ben Hardaway in Georgia. They collected Snake. Snake was out of my copper dog, and I'd won a pretty big course in me with copper. Wow. Against greyhounds and everything. He was a pretty good dog. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you, David, what do you do to exercise your dogs, and how important do you think it is to keeping a good running dog in top shape? How, how often and how, uh, how frequent do you like to exercise a dog? And how do you do it? Well, start with I'm a big believer in a great big pen. Most all my dogs stay out in 100-yard runs. Mm-hmm. You do have huge pens, yeah. They Every morning they run up and down and they play. They race each other up and down. They're always hard. The ground's hard. Mm-hmm. Toughens their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got another pen that's four acres. A lot of my young dogs are running four acres. And I drive around every morning and they race me. And, uh, but they get to run a lot in their pens. Then I hunt them every time I get a chance uh, on jackrabbits. And I have to teach the dogs to stay with my Honda rather than take off. Yes. That takes shocking collars sometimes and different things, and you set boundaries and enforce them. But you make your dogs a pleasure to hunt with. That's right, and I totally agree with that. I, 
Yes. That's very important. That's yeah. so important. Yeah. Gosh. So they all need to have manners. They need you need to set boundaries and need to enforce them. When you let a dog and, out and it just takes off running. And, oh. And yet it takes a lot of patience. Uh, I'd like to run them. I'd like to run them at least twice a week, maybe three times, mm -hmm. on rabbits. Yeah. I've got too many dogs right now that do that. That's right. But I hunt both cows and rabbits. Mm -hmm. I've got some. I've got some females. I've got some females that are good cow dogs and rabbit dogs. Uh, two of the females are Port Saluki. The other one's just straight cow dog. Mm -hmm. They all run about the same. They've got good air and they work either way. Yeah, that's, and, that's and always cool. Most of my cow dogs, they can run. They run pretty good. Mm -hmm. But they're not, they're too heavy to be rabbit dogs. They're too big. Why does that matter? I mean, well, is it not agile enough? The, the smaller dogs seem to do better on rabbits because there's a lot of turning and stuff. Mm -hmm. Most of your cow dogs is pretty much a straightaway race. Uh, cows dodge too. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them are really dodge, hard to catch. Hard for a dog to get their mouth on a cow running 35, 40 mile an hour. Yeah. A slow cow is nothing. But a real fast cow that's dodging, it's hard for the dogs to catch them. Yeah. I don't know if a dog's scared they're going to crash when they catch one at that speed or what, but it's got to be a pretty good joke to their mouths and their jaws. A 35-pound or 30-pound cow, 35, 40 mile an hour, when they grab him, that's going to jerk yeah. her teeth out yeah. sometimes. They better, they better have good, solid teeth. But I don't, I don't run my dogs as much as I want to, two or three times a week now. I should rotate them every, every day and take different ones every day. But, that's the, and I will... Sometimes the year I will yeah. hunt more. That's the nice thing about being retired. You have time. You have mm -hmm. time to get them out and to spend time with them. And it's harder when I... Yeah, that's why I keep my pack very small so that I have more of my limited time to give to just a very small amount. And I'm at the extreme other end of that spectrum. I just have two that I just pour all of my time and effort into those two. Well, the, the less dogs you have, the better you can train. Yeah. The problem is when you they have, get injured, I'm out. <laughs> you have you have too many dogs. People take too many shortcuts, mm -hmm. and instead of taking your time teaching the dog to lead a little at a time and petting them and being good to them, they just chain them up to something, let them break themselves. That's right. The dogs don't trust you. You got to build trust, and mm -hmm. the dogs got to trust you. I think that's one of my favorite things about hunting with dogs is I love that. They're like my little buddies, you know what I mean? They, oh, yeah. They're well, my friends, and I enjoy hunting with them. You've got to keep their toenails trimmed mm -hmm. and a number of things. You, the thing about toenails on dogs, if a dog stands on his feet, right, and stands on his toes and runs on his toes, 
he'll wear his toenails down. You never have to trim them. A dog that runs on his heel pads, his toes get real long. He might be a little camped out in front. It's the weight. Their toenails get too long. Mm -hmm. You have to keep them trimmed. I like dogs that run on their toes. They can run down a cliche road, and all they do is trim their toenails. <laughs> Other dogs will tear up their heel pads yeah. and be crippled for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so feet are very important, and where the feet are placed underneath them is important. Yeah, I hear a lot of like um, people talking about how their dogs rip their stopper pads off, and I don't know what causes that. I've never even heard of that. Every running animal needs to toe out slightly behind. I found that out shooting racehorses on the racetrack. Halter horses and stuff, they wanted to, the animal would be perfectly straight, but they overreach and hit their front feet. If they're running, they run outside their front feet. Dog antelope, deer, everything toes out slightly behind. That's a running animal. They run outside of their front feet. Yes, sir. In the contraction phase? People, show people and stuff have no clue as how a dog is supposed to be made. Now, I'm not talking about cowhawked. I'm talking about toed out just a little. You've seen some AKC dogs, and people are surprised when their AKC dog can't perform in its original functioning task. There's a big difference between hunting bred dogs and show dogs these days. Yeah. Big difference. AKC has ruined more breeds of dogs than anything. I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. From my limited experience. It's all theory. Yeah. But the theory is not based on experience coursing dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. People judge dogs that have never watched dogs run a rabbit in their life or watched them perform. They don't know. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in breeding results and seeing results. I want a rabbit that puts, I want a dog that puts rabbits on my tailgate. And I, I could care less if he's papered or not. My dogs aren't papered, but you know what they do? They catch a lot of jackrabbits. Oh, yeah. I turn yeah. them out, and me and Justin have only been outrun once in the last two seasons, but truly outrun. We've had them lost in the brush, gone underground, get under fences, but truly outran one time, and I'm very proud of that. Very proud of that. I'll, I'll tell you what. It depends on the terrain, and when you have... Pastures that are overgrazed, and the ground's hard, and there's brush. Dogs gonna have a hard time, even turning that rabbit. I've seen full hoplites couldn't turn some on the Brown Ranch. Couldn't even turn them. Wow. I mean, they, and, that, the one that outran us. And, that's and, what and the rabbit. And there's a difference in the dog turning the rabbit and the rabbit turning the dog. Mm-hmm. A rabbit will zig. It throws the dog off a little, he has to adjust. Then he'll zig again, it throws the dog off a little. Yeah. Just straight away, a greyhound should be able to turn a rabbit, but the zigging and zagging throws that dog off. That's what I love about rabbits. They're so exciting. They're just magnificent runners. They're I running for their lives. They're incredible. And where they... Where they uh, or in an area that has kit fox, 
cows, they run all the time. Mm -hmm. And falcons and eagles and things like that, they, they, uh, they're in shape, only the strong ones survive. And when you jump them, man, they, they're, they're a challenge. I'm, so many people, when I explain the coursing dogs, and I say, oh, you know, these coursing dogs are very fast. You know, I, I've always wanted to be respectful, and I want to always put hound hunting in a positive light. And I always, I feel like if you get hostile to people that disagree with you, you're just going to make them worse. But a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, my German Shepherd catches jackrabbits. Right. And I just go, with respect. Definitely not. Like. No, no they, yeah, I've heard about collies running 45 miles an yeah. hour for five miles and all that crap. You yeah. know, it just, it's just, I don't know, you know. Uh, what do you feed, David? Hmm? What do you feed? I feed what I can afford. Yeah. I try to feed high protein. And most, most of your dog foods don't have enough fat in them simply because it it, it will go bad and hurt with mm, fat in the summer especially. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I buy big buckets of lard, regular lard, animal fat. Mm -hmm. And I like to give them lard about every other day. I'll take a big chunk of lard on the cookie give every dog a big bunch of lard where they got dogs get all their energy from fat okay. so I'm uh, add fat I feed them kibble but then I add the fat now Chris she feeds part of her dogs raw chicken raw chicken they can eat bones and all you can't cook chicken mm -hmm. it's bones are brittle they'll splinter and kill the dog but uh, feeding, feeding is important. I mean, and I've actually seen people feed hog pellets, sow maintenance pellets to maintain sows was only 10% protein or less. And the dogs look damn good. Now, I don't, wow. I can't figure that out. Yeah, I wonder if it's probably all the calories and filler. I mean, it's to maintain hogs, to put weight on them. It's designed to bulk them up. Well, it's maintenance assume. for sows, brood sows. Yeah, so it's a high calorie, it's just, I'm it's, sure. It's low, low, low calorie, low, oh, oh. low protein, real low protein. Interesting. And I've seen people feed nothing but that, and their dogs always look good, but they run the hell out of them. Exercise is more important than nutrition. I think uh, I, I'm a huge subscriber in exercise for both people and animals. I think it makes the world a difference. I mean, I've, Usain Bolt doesn't sit on the couch and eat potato chips. He's training. I've seen people that would have a killer plant near them where they could get horse runs. Um, guts and dead animals and feed them nothing but but uh, dead animals and guts and stuff like that and feed them every third day. Yeah. Throw them a big old lung or something like big that. Natural. That's a little bit more primal diet. Three days later they'd do it again. I've been to places where there'd be a hundred dogs on chains out in the weeds six foot high. He'd forget to feed and water some, and you'd find skeletons on the end of a chain. Oh my goodness, I, that's. So I've, I've seen these primitive people, and I've seen them how people just fed 
hog pellets or yeah. get it's the amazing what dogs can withstand, honestly. And some of the dogs, a lot of these dogs, they were handling like cattle. They'd run them in sheets, get collars on them and stuff, and then chain them. No petting, no nothing. Do you think that's dying away, though? Do you think that, that kind of view on dogs in general is just kind of falling away? Because, I, I mean, I've never seen that. And I used to grow up in a lot of lion hounds and bear hounds. And I, I feel like that that kind of care is starting to kind of just fall out of favor. Animal, the people's view on animals is kind of changing, especially with my generation. I, I doubt you'd see that. Do, do you agree with that? I didn't understand what you said. Do, do you think that that kind of care on dogs is dying away? Like people are taking better care of dogs in general now than they used to? You know, I've found that more good comes from bad than bad comes from good. Because what they do, only the hardiest dogs survive. The dogs that have never been handled and they're skittish, they don't survive. People don't want them. They shoot them. The dogs that, no matter what you did, what lack of care and lack of compassion that you showed the dog, they still loved you. They still had good temperaments. They were very confident dogs in spite of being raised in hell. I've seen this a lot. I don't believe in it. I treat my dogs really good and trim their toenails, take care of them and everything, but I've seen it, and I've seen really good dogs uh, come out of terrible conditions. Doesn't make sense, but I've seen it a lot, yeah. and, and, and that's genetics. Yeah, and it's also speaking to the resiliency of dogs. I mean, unfortunately, that's it's not... It, <laughs> yeah, a, lot, a lot of these people are dead and gone, but they raised dogs to sell them. Mm. Used to be a big market for good cow dogs, and they'd raise tough old dogs. I, uh, I guess I want to ask you a few more questions, David. I, what do you think, uh, what do you look for in a good puppy? When you see a bunch of puppies running around, what are you looking for to pick one out? If you had to pick one, what, what are you looking for in that puppy? Well, if I don't see any obvious deformity, of course, what you're looking at is the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can't look at his heart. You can't look at his brain. It's a gamble. You're just looking at a puppy. I, first thing I pick is black and white dogs because I can see them further away. They always show up. Mm -hmm. When they're half a mile away running with red dogs and brindle dogs, the only dog you'll see is the white dog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same as the bud on an antelope, the white is yep. what you see. Yes, sir. So I pick white for that reason. I want you to tell me a story, David, about an animal. Tell me your favorite race and what happened. Can you remember a race that just you can't forget? It was just that good? Oh, I've had... I've had so many rabbit and hat races that you didn't think there's a way in the world they'd catch a cow and then they'd go a mile and a half more and catch a cow. Uh, these Lukies show, show me three or four races like that every year. That you're just blown away. The cow would be going over a hill, over a quarter mile away and go over a hill and the dogs see them, I just dump them. Oh, wow. 
and, and I've seen them dogs run for a half mile looking. And all of a sudden you see when they bear down and go to run and they finally spotted the cow. It might be a quarter mile ahead of them and they run him down. And that puts chills down your spine. And I've seen that three or four times every year at these slukies. Years ago when I first started hunting with this guy in the old, had the old car that they put me in the back seat. He had an old stag with a broken tail and a tongue that stuck out the other side of his mouth. Had a porcupine quill and his tongue was dead. He didn't have any teeth because he had distempers of pup and they made him swallow copper pennies. They figured that would cure oh distemper. Now we're talking yeah, yeah. Indian is, people. This you is know, old school. Yeah. We're, but anyway, the first race that I ever seen a cow caught. He had a little hot blood bitch, could run like hell for 300 yards, and had two half stag, half greyhounds, could run probably a half mile pretty good, maybe a little further. Anyway, we dumped these dogs on a good coyote. We passed the little greyhound bitch in about a quarter mile she's already give it up little hot blood little hot blood got out there about oh close to a mile and the two blue dogs had given up tongues hanging out that far the old stag dog was still off at a distance running we drove and drove and drove and finally this dag dog had put this coyote in a mesquite bush and was baying that coyote in the mesquite bush. He'd run that coyote. I could outrun the coyote. The coyote was stiff as a board. <laughs> he run that darn thing plumb off his feet, and that, and and I I couldn't believe it. Anyhow, twenty minutes later, the dog did the same kind of a race. We didn't breed to that dog. We bred to a damn hot blood. Why? Stupid. <laughs> we wanted that early speed. We wanted all that speed. Oh, you should have bred that toothless champion. <laughs> oh, God almighty. You know. What we, year was we that? We didn't know what we were looking at. Yeah. What year was that? Oh, probably 55. Oh, wow. You were just getting sick. <laughs> Man. Dang. That's impressive. Could he catch yeah, him with no been, teeth? Been in 55, yeah. He could catch him with no teeth. And it looked, it had long hair, an old stag, yeah. ugly, skinny. The old boy fed him bones and he only had jaw teeth. He lost all his teeth and distemper. Wow. I don't know if the copper pennies made it. Yeah. I don't know what that did. I don't oh, know how geez. the dog survived. That's amazing. But he let the dog run in alleys and stuff. and. Wow. Eat wow. out of garbage cans and just whatever he could find to eat, he ate. But he'd, he'd get bones from the butchers. They'd give you fat and bones. And that's what the dog lived on. What is there a race that sticks out in your mind that was amazing that the quarry escaped, that you just tipped your hat because it was that good? Because that's happened to me, where I've been outrun, and I... I, I, of course, you know, you're upset if you get outrun, but the race was so good that you're just like um, so impressed with your prey. Has that happened to you before? Mm. All the time. What, do you have one in particular? What happened? Can you tell the story? 
lot. I've had that happen so many times that dogs would out dodge, I mean, coyote would out dodge the dogs and out dodge the dogs. We've turned the second set of dogs out, getting mad at the coyote, going to catch that coyote, and outrun the second set too, just like the first set. And dogs would be strung out for a mile and, Holy and the coyote would get away. I've seen this. They were telling me about one time in, in uh, up in the panhandle, they had three sets of dogs out on the ground. They'd run one set and they couldn't catch a coyote. They'd dump another set and they couldn't catch a coyote. Dump the third set and they wouldn't catch a coyote. Coyote outrun all of them. And then this particular coyote on this race run in a, a covert. Well, a bunch of them hunters drove up there going to get that coyote out of the covert and kill it. An old man, old Gerald Case, drove up there and said, you guys leave that coyote alone. He deserves to live. Heck yeah. We need to let him raise some more good cows. Absolutely. Dang. Yeah. <coughs> but I, I've, I've seen cows outrun two sets of dogs a lot. Wow. You've seen some pretty impressive rabbits. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was going to college at Las Cruces, we'd go to Juarez and pick up eight or ten greyhounds that didn't make the track. And they fought off for different things. We'd go out there in the Corlitas with eight greyhounds in the back of an open pickup and some college boys back there holding I've done this. I'm moving out with greyhounds. <laughs> yeah. And we'd jump a jackrabbit and we'd dump some dogs out. <laughs> Two or three dogs and they'd run it. They couldn't turn the sun buck. We'd jump, throw three more. We'd have eight greyhounds out on the ground strung out over a mile and a half, two miles, you know. Some of them we couldn't find. We just left them out there, you know. We didn't give a damn. We just drinking beer and chasing rabbits, and they didn't charge us for them greyhounds, no, and we had no... And those rabbits, they just pin those ears back and just make them look dumb. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I love it. There used to be a guy... It had greyhounds that lived in Las Cruces, and he had a thousand dollar bet that there wasn't nobody could bring two dogs and catch one of them rabbits. Bet a thousand dollars. Good thing me and Justin weren't around back then. <laughs> well, the, dog, the, the dogs they were running then, you know, people, people bred up some pretty good dogs now. Yeah, rabbit dogs. But he he bet a thousand dollars. They bring whatever they want. They couldn't catch a rabbit. And did mm -hmm. it, did he? No one could catch a rabbit. We didn't catch any <laughs> when I was out there. You know the dogs we had. Dutch said in his book that those we rabbits could, are hard to catch out there in Corlitas and we Deming. could catch them. We could catch rabbits with that blue hot blood and some of them dogs around here. Mm -hmm. But when we went to college over, we took our greyhounds with us. I lived off campus, and we'd go out and run coyotes all the time, and sometimes rabbits. But we didn't catch hardly any rabbits. I, we'd catch them at night in the spotlight sometimes. You know, that's... It's not the same as a good day, of course. Different though. deal. What's your longest race you've ever had on a rabbit, and what's your longest race you've ever had on a coyote that you caught? Well, I've had, I've had rabbits and coyotes. 
where where the race would go four and five minutes. Even a kayak go that long. Yeah. Oh wow. And dogs couldn't catch it, but they wouldn't quit. We'd just keep following them and following them and following them. <clears throat> They'd out dodge the dogs and get out ahead of them, and they just couldn't catch them. Wow. And some of them races, I'd have two sets of dogs out on the ground, and they couldn't catch a coyote. Wow. How often does a coyote like that come around? How often do you think? Every year. You get a coyote like that every, every year? About every year you'll get after one of them good ones. I, uh, there's no there's no set of dogs going to catch every coyote. That's amazing. It's going to get in the roughs before the dogs catch him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It may be two miles to the roughs, but he'll make it there. Coyotes here are different than like the coyotes up in the roughs and the panhandles. People breed dogs entirely different. They breed them to trail, to run the scent in the air, and the coyotes will go over a big hill, and they don't see the dogs coming. Well, the dogs will see the coyote from a quarter to a half mile off. They'll see him go over the hill. They run to that hill and they go looking. Well, the coyote doesn't know dogs are coming. He gets away. He can't see the pickup or anything. He just, he don't run. He's through running. It ain't that way here. Coyotes don't stop running when they go over a rise or a hill or anything. They they run. They're running hard. They don't slow down. But in the. Rough country, they can pick their trail up and stuff, and then they trail them and get up on the hill and see them, and then they go to them. But the coyotes ain't really running as hard as they do here. Mm-hmm. And another thing, they got more feed. They're heavier and fatter. In the panhandle? Hmm? The yeah, coyotes. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a lot of wheat fields and dead cattle and stuff like oh, that, yeah. you know. That country's a lot more forgiving to the coyotes than it is here. These are a lot leaner coyotes. <laughs> well, they catch. Them guys will catch. The, the coyotes are a lot thicker up there. Mm. I mean, they they got it made. They got all kinds of grain and feed and oh, yeah. everything to eat. And, and there's nothing like these coyotes here to live on jackrabbits and stuff like that. Like the coyotes here can't catch a rabbit. They go hungry. Yep, they're gonna have a short life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. So the coyotes here's a lot harder to catch. Mm-hmm. What uh, what age do you like to start pups at? When they're ready. Yeah. I've started pups at six months old on rabbits, and I've started them years ago on coyotes when they're six seven months old. I've had some bred right that time they were seven eight months old they were already on the throat fighting like an old dog tough as hell depends on the dog some of them are slow developing others develop quicker have you ever had a dog that develops really slow but then turns out to be a great great dog well i give one away i traded one off like that and he's my buddy's best catch dog now oh man he wasn't very fast as a yearling I run enough rabbits with him, and all the other dogs would outrun him, and he just wouldn't go very far. Now he can go a long way, a lot of speed, catches all this guy's coats and throats him. My dog matured a little slowly mentally, but physically he was really good fast. But mentally he took a while, but now he's just a dream to hunt with. I mean, I, I love hunting with him. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, 
we can wrap it up if you'd like. If there's anything you want to add, David. If there's anything you want to add, we're gonna we maybe can wrap it up. But one thing, you, you being a biologist, I'd like to see your research is. Okay. Okay, Brown Ranch right now, you can't hardly find a rabbit. It's been overgrazed terrible. It has, yeah, I've seen that. Really overgrazed. Yeah. I mean, last year at the hunt, we seen dead rabbits. Mm-hmm. What killed them? Okay, what I'm thinking, like this year, it's almost impossible to find rabbits. Yeah, anywhere. we're having the same problem. Because it's so overgrazed. I'm wondering if, because the rabbits can't find what they normally eat, that they're eating on a toxic plant. So, at the risk of hijacking the podcast, I, I just, it, it, there, there's a lot of variables in animal populations, a lot. And it seems this year in particular, the rains came very late in the year yeah. this year. And our data with the surveys that we do where I work, uh, the rodent population is also suffering terribly this year. And it seems to point to that the late precipitation didn't allow their litters to survive. So none of their offspring survived because the rodents and rabbits that we were catching late in the year in October were actually really healthy. They, They had good body condition. They had great shiny coats. But we caught no young ones, and we normally catch lots of yearlings and juveniles. And we caught almost none this year. And so this year, it seems to point to the very poor precipitation early in the year, which caused, you know, a lot of people will look out there and they'll see tons of grass. And they'll be like, where, what, there's so much food for those rabbits to eat. But here in the Permian Basin, the grass that's most commonly left is tabosa, and that grass isn't very palatable to cattle or to rabbits. Rabbits eat a lot of forbs, which are the little weeds and stuff that grow up on the ground beneath the grass. And they eat, they eat the, right around the roots. Yes. They destroy as much grass as, as a cow consumes because they work at the bottom of the grass instead of like the cow pulls it off from the top. Yeah, so the the meristematic tissue is at the base of a grass, and that's the most nutritious point of the grass. Now, some species of grass that evolved for heavy grazing have their meristematic tissue beneath the ground to protect them from grazers, but a lot of grasses here in the desert southwest didn't evolve having a heavy grazer, and so, yes, rabbits can uh, take a toll on grass in high numbers, but even still, um, this year it seems that the forb production was poor, especially early in the season when it was really hot and dry, and a lot of them died. And the rodents suffered terribly as well. They, they died in huge numbers as well. They need a good warm... If, if this winter remains wet and warm like it has been so far, they'll survive well through the winter, and then hopefully we get a good wet spring, and they can rebound next year. Uh, the thing is that they usually, hares don't reproduce quite as fast as rabbits do. They typically will need another year until they can really proliferate at high numbers. So, Well, you know about mesquite beans. Yes, sir. Okay, cattle, you have to supplement cattle if they're eating on mesquite beans. Right. If they eat too many of them, they impact. Mm-hmm. It kills them. Yep. So they've got to have roughage with the mesquite beans and something else. What I'm wondering, what are these rabbits eating 
it it changes seasonally based on what's available. And they will eat mesquite beans, but they're a lot more selective on how they eat them than a cow. They they are a lot better adapted to utilizing that food source. But rodents take the most mesquite pods underground. Um, jackrabbits in the fall are big forb eaters mostly. They're eating the little um, non-woody, non-grass plants that are around. That's their main food source. Even when the grass is really green, you can have really low rabbit numbers because they're mostly eating forbs. They will graze on grass in the spring when grass is growing and it's most nutritious. Of course they'll eat grass year-round, but they prefer forbs. They'll also browse if there's leaves on the ground. They're very general, and hares and rabbits typically eat the same thing. They compete with each other pretty directly. It's just that hares are much better adapted to live out in the open. Jackrabbits are much better adapted to live out on the open range because they run so much faster and they're much better at evading predators in open spaces. And so, yeah, this year, um, and of course, a lot of people think that there's diseases that come in and wipe them out, which is totally possible. But typically, our populations don't get high enough to really allow a, a disease to just wipe them out like that. So, they typically, it's it's climactic events usually that kill our rabbits. Uh, well, I, th- I think they're overeating on something that is causing them problems. It can definitely They're happen. not eating their normal stuff. That they're eating what they can find, which it, when they eat too much of it, it kills them. It can. It could. Just like sheep, just like cattle. Definitely, if they're desperate. When rabbits, you can always tell when it's really hard out there for rabbits when they start eating the cambium, the bark, off mesquite tender young new mesquite growth you'll see yeah. that they look ringed around it and they, yeah. they look bare that's rabbits doing that and and when it's desperate times they'll eat that cambium off the mesquite and that's that's when you can tell that they are really struggling especially in like february late winter that's that's why where you find the rabbits is in the mesquite yes sir and also from cover from their main predator is is eagles and hawks oh yeah and so yeah. the cut the shrub also i mean where do we not course the shrubs you know, that's they have great defense from their predators in the shrubs. I guess the last question I want to ask you, David, is what do you think the future holds for coursing, and what do you think the future holds for hound hunting in general? My my hearing aid's ringing. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to put the battery in it here in a minute. Okay, well, we'll wrap it I, up. I think, I think uh, I think times are different than they were when I, entirely different than when I grew up. Everybody had greyhounds when I was a kid. They had two different coursing parks here. On the weekends, people go out and run live jackrabbits in a coursing park and bet on the dogs. I mean, it was popular. Mm-hmm. With all these new devices and ways Kids are entertaining themselves differently. The only kids that are going to really continue coursing are the ones that grew up with it. I don't think you're going to get many new people into coursing. I'm a novelty then. You you are definitely an individual. Freak things happen. I never would have got in course if I hadn't seen that guy catch it. But, you know, I had German Shepherds. They couldn't do it. Yeah. Freaky things happen that, that, that uh, 
direct a guy in a certain direction, mm-hmm. whether it's Agreed. coursing, fishing, skiing. Yes, sir. All kinds of people are going to entertain themselves. Now, if you really like animals, it would be easier to get right. into coursing and, or hounds or something like that, beagles. Yes, sir. Uh, a lot of it depends on your environment. How many people in New York City do you think will ever get into coursing? Yes, sir. And that's kind of where the world's heading right now. And that's that's what the problem is, is all your big cities with millions of people, they don't know anything about agriculture and the problems people face in agriculture. And they're not interested. You know, I've seen where Wayne Purcell wanted to stop all sport hunting. He's president of the American Humane Society. He said, well, it's a democratic process. There's only about 7% of the people hunt, which I don't think that's right. That's definitely sure not true at all. In, but it would be in the big major cities. They don't hunt. They might hunt other people. You know, but uh, the majority of people are in these congregated areas, you know. Here's a guy I need to talk to. Okay. Well, I guess uh, let's wrap it up real quick, Dave. Uh, I just wanted to thank you very much for calling me or talking to me, and uh, I hope we can hang out again soon. So thanks, David. (laughs) Wrap it up here.